Hello and welcome to the Schmuel Tenen House podcast. My name is Schmuel Tenen House, and this is my podcast. And in an effort to try something new, I began singing the intro. Yes, tons of creativity goes into this podcast. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I did not want to do a podcast right now, and I would chalk it up 100% to incompetence and laziness, both of those things combined. However, I know that there are a couple of people who listen to this podcast, particularly Jewish women when they're cleaning their kitchens. And now I feel that if I don't do a podcast, men will come over to me and women and children say, hey, the kitchen in our house right now is a complete mess because you were too lazy to do a podcast. So my mom did not want to kill, clean the kitchen. And now we're living in a hovel because of you. So with that responsibility, of course, I showed up here today. I did stand-up comedy this past Saturday night on, in, a, in a Chabad house. It was part of the unorthodox comedy show with Hani Lisbon. So I got to do um, some comedy there. It was great to have people um, that I know, particularly uh, just my family members there, who I bring them there so they can laugh loudly and inappropriately at some of the jokes that I say. Now, uh, I will say that because I do this comedy podcast, uh, most of the jokes that I use that I've done stand-up comedy have been jokes that people have come and told me, hey, that was really funny, that thing that you said in a podcast. And then I know, hey, hey, that's a really good joke to use for my stand-up. So I actually did know the rabbi and Rebetzin of the shul because it was in a shul, and, uh, which is a great venue, obviously, to get people to laugh uh, because, you know, in a house of God where you know, serious things are happening, obviously, that's, that's, that's where you want to do a comedy show. So the Rebetzin, after my set, said, hey, you're really funny. And I said, yeah, of course, Rebetzin, because they were doing a comedy show here. So they asked me because I'm funny. They didn't say, hey, we're casting for a comedy show. Do you know any serious people here to come and give a very serious lecture to the people that, that are sitting here? I've read that when it comes to giving staka, it's not just important to give a donation, but you also have to give words of encouragement and like your heart should be in it, which is why when people come over to me in shul and tell me that they are collecting for a wedding, I make a donation. But before I do, I always tell them, let me give you some advice. Don't do it. Why get married? I'm married right now. I'm in the institution. I know lots of people who are right now in the marriage institution. So you're going around collecting to make a wedding. I can save you some time. I'm, I'm going to be charitable right now with the wise counsel that I'm going to dispense. And I'm going to be like, hey, don't do it. I'm not saying not to collect. Go have a good time. But what's the rush to get married? What are you now? 57, there's, you know, the, the age expectancy is, let's say, 65 in this country. You got a good eight years, seven years. Get married at 64 when you got, you got one year left. Um, now we're going to move on to the kosher restaurant situation here in South Florida. Everybody knows, and I don't think this is talked enough about, that there is an oversupply and a glut 
of kosher restaurants in South Florida. There are many. In fact, if, I've, I've heard non-Jewish people here in South Florida complaining that if they open Uber Eats, they can only order from kosher places because that's how many kosher restaurants there are in South Florida. Uh, and basically, if you want n- something non-kosher, you have to basically specify now in Uber Eats, we want something not kosher on Uber Eats because that's, there's a lot of kosher restaurants. In fact, when my friends go out to eat these days, the ones that have a few dollars left, or a little remaining credit balance, they will they will say, which restaurants are we going out tonight? Because at this point, nobody's going out just to one restaurant. There are too many choices. So they will go to one restaurant, order a drink. Then they will go in their car to a different restaurant, order a couple appetizers. I want to clarify, they do pay their tab before they leave each restaurant. And then they go to some place for a main. So sometimes people will hit up like... People go clubbing, they go restauranting here in South Florida. Now, I did some calculations looking at the Jewish population here in South Florida and the amount of restaurants. And what I discovered was for, uh, what I discovered, the number came out to, there are two kosher restaurants for every Jewish person in South Florida, which means that every time a, baby, a Jewish baby is born, there's a group of people in Surfside and a group of people on Sterling Road who are sitting together and saying, aha, mazel tov, a new baby is born. Now I could open up another restaurant here on Surfside and a second one sandwiched on Sterling so the baby that's born in between has options should the restaurant still be around in 12, 13 years when the child can drive or when they're two, three years old and they can order off their parents' phone. So there's a guy in Surfside said, hey, listen, I've had this idea brewing in my head. It's been marinating, just waiting for one more Jewish baby to be born. I want a restaurant that in every dish there are croutons. And we're going to call it the kosher crouton because what more can you want? And also, I think we can get away with $60 a drink. And maybe $70 appetizers, so one drink and one appetizer is 130 But in the drink and in the appetizers, there are kosher croutons on the bottom because that's the name of our restaurant, the kosher crouton. And then you have a guy in Sterling Street that says, listen, I have a storefront, which already has a restaurant in it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to split the storefront 50-50, or maybe 60-40 or 40-60. The other side is going to be a different restaurant, and this is what it's going to be. There is definitely lots of shawarma pita places but there isn't to my knowledge in the pita industry here in south florida dining establishments a restaurant where they make the falafel ball but then the chef will throw it directly into the customer's mouth and we have a waiter that goes up before then and he takes a spoon of hummus and trina and puts it directly into the person's mouth and lines the mouth. And then the chef has a slingshot or he throws it directly into the mouth. This place will be called Falafel Mouth. And now there are two new places for us to go. By the way, Falafel Mouth actually just opened a couple weeks ago. A few of my friends went there. Two of them got burnt because... I guess they were still getting everything in order and not realizing you got to let it cool down a little bit. Uh, one guy got a falafel ball lodged in his mouth, but somebody was there to do the Heimlich, and everybody's doing okay right now. 
There was a time that my spouse and I went to a certain kosher restaurant in South Florida. Now, I'm not going to give out any names, but I will say that it is, let's say, uh, does some barbecue-related stuff, and I would say primarily smoked. Smoked stuff, maybe it's in the waterways, maybe it's not. And during our meal, the waitress, the server, brings over a dish for free because we didn't order it, so we got all defensive. We got, it was like, what is this doing here? And they said, well, the owner of the restaurant sent this over because you're children and his children go to the same school. Okay, great. Free dish on the table. Half a minute later, another unordered dish appears at the table. And this one is from the guy who worked in the kitchen. He was the salad guy that my wife was buying dips from. He also sent another free dish. Now, because we had already ordered food, I wasn't particularly interested in the free dishes. So I said was to the server, hey, can you send these dishes back? Tell them we appreciate the generosity, but instead of these dishes, how about you just deduct the amount of the free dishes from our existing tab, and that way we get a cheaper bill. By the way, I have this tactic. If you want to save money and your wife wants to go out to a restaurant, so what I do is I have, especially if we're going out or only if we're going out to a dairy establishment, I keep a pack of beef jerky in my glove in the glove uh, compartment and when my wife says hey we're going out let's let's go to this milchik restaurant i break open the emergency bag of beef jerky i take a piece and i say well i'm totally okay going to a fine dairy establishment however i must tell you that i'm just flashics from this emergency stockpile of uh, beef jerky problem is you can't do that for a meat restaurant and I've tried it, having some yogurts also in the glove compartment, refrigerated, obviously, refrigerated glove compartment. But my wife will be like, okay, let's just wait 30 minutes, an hour in the car. So it doesn't work as well if, if you go in the, in the other direction. Now, there's definitely lots of, when you, especially when you live in a small community, there's lots of comparisons with people, lots of competitions People trying to keep up with the, you know, the, 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 the finer people. And so jealousy is an issue, but whatever you resist persists, which means right now I'm advising that we lean into that envy. And so what I want to do with you is a mental health meditation slash breathing exercise where we are going to bring our envy to the surface of other people, meaning our envy of other people to our own surface. And then, like I mentioned, we're going to lean in it and really feel that level of coveting. So I want you to close your eyes right now and take a deep breath. And in your mind, picture the few people in your social circles who have more than you. They could have a nicer car, they could have a nicer home, they could have a nicer spouse. Now I want you to compare yourself head to head with this person. And I want you to 
really focus on the fact that their life is better than yours on account of they have a nicer vehicle, like I mentioned, or they can afford a nicer gym. I want you to let it all out. Exhale. I want you to judge yourself. I want you to turn that anger inwards. Feel those depressing thoughts. And when I count to three, I want you to exhale big time and let it all out. Three, two, one. How's everybody feeling now? I'm not a trained professional, clearly, but I'm hoping we were able to deal with some of your jealousy issues that you have. Something that is also, I think, kept under wraps or because of political correctness, it's not really mentioned. And that is the biggest threat to every husband in the firm world and I would say at the world of large, the biggest threat right now to any husband is Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And let me explain to you why. The man's job is to be a provider, right? You have to show up and get the things that your household needs or provide the means so your household could get the things that it needs. Now, if you look and try to compare yourself as a husband to Amazon, Amazon is doing a much better job. Why? Because essentially they sell everything at the lowest price and they're dependent. They just bring it when you need it. Now, if you put a husband side by side, all of a sudden he starts paling in comparison to Amazon because Amazon is helping the house much more than the husband. What is the husband doing already? So if you think about it, what is a husband's job? It's a couple of things he's doing. One, he's in charge of the suitcases when you travel. He's not going to pack them. He's actually going to wait for you to pack him and it's too late last minute and then blame you when a couple of things are not packed and you told him already, hey, I told you to pack but you were busy doing other things. So the husband's job is just locating where the suitcases are. Also, maybe he'll carry them in the airport. The second thing is what the husband does is you take out the trash, but he's got to be mumbling and grumbling the whole time that basically it's dehuman to be doing such a thing. And the third thing is a really good Jewish husband is also taking out the tablecloth after a meal and shaking it outside and telling his wife, oh my gosh, that was so rough. You should have seen me there. I really don't like when you ask me to do that. I think I'm stretching myself at this time. Now you look at Amazon, Bezos is delivering stuff to your wife, one hour, two hour, same day delivery with the drone. Now he's thrown in video. She's getting books from him. She's got Amazon music. She's ordering things from Alexa. She's got a web business and she's storing her thing on AWS. She's ordering shoes from Zappos when she's not ordering from, Zappos, from, from Amazon, which is also owned by Amazon. If she has a couple extra dollars, she's ordering things from Woot, which was also purchased by Amazon. She was going to get an iRobot vacuum cleaner, which is owned by Amazon. 
And what are you doing? You're a schmuck. All you're doing is shaking out the tablecloth. Jeff Bezos is the biggest threat. Jeff Bezos was married. He, he got divorced and he married another woman. Who was this other woman? Just another woman who had a Prime account. And she was like, hey, listen, I have a husband, but Amazon provides much better than my husband does. I'm going to leave. Now, I don't know if you realize that. It's kind of the underlying message. But that is the reason why over the past couple of years, you've seen more and more Jeff Bezos turning into a buff fellow and lots of shirtless pictures of him because, again, that is really what is keeping Prime membership strong because every woman is thinking, one day, who knows what can happen, I could be like that woman who ended up with Jeff Bezos. He's got a yacht too. He's got a yacht. So what, what happens? On Cholomite, are you going to rent a kayak? Maybe. If your wife asks you 50 times and you're going to rent it for an hour because you don't want to pay for two hours, Bezos has a yacht for the woman who was just a regular prime customer who got upgraded to his wife. Consider yourselves warned. Warned. You know you're going through a downturn when my friends who have been able to afford a Pesach program in prior years, these same Pesach programs this year, because everything is more expensive and people have less cash, instead of doing an outright program, they're just selling raffle tickets to be on the program. I have a friend really, really wealthy up until this year, and I said, you know, where are you going to for Pesach? He said, well, we can't afford a program outright, but we spent $500 on a raffle ticket and we're really hoping our, our family wins the raffle so we can go and do our Pesach, you know, extravaganza. I heard about this convention that's starting in Crown Heights. I don't think it's 100% appropriate, but I do want to surface it. And that is that when you live in a fairly small Orthodox community, the dating pool is rather limited. And so is the geography that you end up living in. So what ends up happening is every fourth girl or boy that's kind of within 10 years of you know your age group, you've gone out with them at some point in time. Could be it happened unless you're one of those people who got married to the first girl on the first date that they ever saw. So what happens is Throughout the rest of your life, now that you have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, you continue bumping into the people that you went out with just a couple of times. And obviously, you can't break into a conversation with them because that's from the past, but at the same time, you did go out with them, and it's kind of awkward, shall we say. So a group, I think it was a group of Neshe, I don't know exactly. So they're starting this thing in Crown Heights where... The convention is called um, maybe Less Than Three. And it's a convention where you meet all the people you dated less than three times. Basically, not the serious people where there was maybe more of an emotional connection, but just the people you met two, three times, kind of an interesting conversation. And now it's just super awkward when you bump into them. And so the idea of this convention is you get to mingle, compare notes, Especially if somebody was telling you like a real story and then the shotgun broken up and, and you don't really know what happened with that person's life and you're very curious. So this kinus 
as you will, will have an opportunity for you to speak to people, understand, kind of share baby pictures. And the most important thing is when you see them next time, it won't be awkward because you'll be like, hey, I saw you at the less than three convention and may I say you're looking great. Sometimes in shul where I daven, uh, actually all the time, there will be one minion quorum going on and then sometimes there'll be some controversy or strife when a second minion will break out on the side nearby juxtaposed. And what we really have to dig deep as a, as a community is ask ourselves, is a two minion solution possible or conceivable? Can two minionim exist side by side without a wall, without any security, and nobody is at anybody's throats and everybody is just getting along civilly? A friend of mine, his wife is fundraising in Crown Heights for a cause that's very near and dear to them. And he brags to me that within the last week and a half, she raised over 200K. To which I told him, 200K, that is amazing. For 200K, you could basically support a religious from family for two months approximately. Here's how you know that the whole concept of DEI and discrimination and racism is, is not really taken seriously in this world, even though people will pretend that it matters to them. And here's, here's, here's my proof. And that is, when was the last time you boarded a plane and you encountered a blind pilot? Think about it. When was the last time you saw a guy shuffling onto the plane with heavy pair of sunglasses, a walking stick, and a dog, and he says, excuse me, I have to get to the cockpit, I'm actually the pilot. Now, remember that there's also autopilot, there's also a co-pilot that can actually help the guy who's blind open up his apple juice if there's a little turbulence. You never see that. Why is that? Because discrimination is actually a real thing despite all the progress we've made as a country. I wanted to call out a hypocrisy of um, iPhone and Apple. You know, part of the things that they congratulate themselves or humble brag in their ads, not even humble brag, just brag straight up in their ads are, you know, we want you to be safe online and privacy, yada, yada, yada. And we even allow you to limit the amount of time you spend on apps. For example, you can set a time limit on social media apps. In fact, my friend actually set one up for his daughter on TikTok, a social media limit, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden he sets it up and it's quiet for hours. And he doesn't understand how his daughter was able to bypass the limit of social media on her phone despite the fact that he set it up. So he checks out the filter for himself, and I don't know if anybody's ever tried to set up a filter or a limit for social media on their phone, but when you hit your limit, a little pop-up says, limit reached. And then there's a big button that says either okay or ignore. And so basically you swat it away like it's a little fly, and you continue on what you're doing. Now, Apple is much more capable 
than this in terms of creating an uncomfortable situation which will steer behavior. So for example, when Apple does an update, they tell you update it now. Okay, you don't want to update it now. How about 15 minutes from now? I've talked about this in the past. Okay, you're going to update it tonight. Enter your password. Okay, we're going to shut down right now. Okay, plug your phone in. So they know how to make you crazy when it comes to updating their operating system, yet they don't use the same persistence when it comes to tracking the amount of time or limiting the amount of time that people will spend on a phone, obviously, because that would be terrible for business, for them. They get lots of slack from all the social media companies. Also, they're trying to collect money from Facebook boosted posts and all these things that are bad for business, but operating the OS is very important to them. So obviously for matters of business, you know, they make it uh, a little more, uh, yeah, workable. Bathing is an important thing. I encourage everybody to take, to take baths. I wish I would take more baths. I don't have as much time, but I would think every night, two, three hours, every person over the age of 20 should be soaking in a bath. I just don't understand with a bath, how is somebody supposed to wash themselves? I never really understood this as a kid. And as an adult, I find myself grappling with this question. I don't want to ask people because it seems like an inappropriate question, but you're basically sitting in water. So you can cover your hair and try to drown yourself by getting this shampoo out of your hair. But now the rest of your body, what do you do? You can turn the shower on, but then more water will go in the bath and it'll leak over. Now, you can also drain the bath and turn the shower on so the, the water's going out while the shower's going on. So maybe there's like a fluid system here. But I never found that to really work because I just don't know. Maybe too much stimulation. Water's coming in, water's going out. Then you're trying to wash yourself. It's a complicated situation. I also find that most of the time after you take a bath, you know, if you're putting in the, the water temperature at two, 300 degrees, you're basically red as a beet and you have no sensation in any of your limbs and you're too tired at that point to, to, to even wash yourself. So you're basically sitting in your, own, in your own liquid for a couple hours and you come out of the bath smelling worse than, than you did when, when you first came in there. If anybody could just explain to me how this is supposed to work, I'd really appreciate it. Without getting too political... An observation I want to make from somebody who's really not following any news is that it appears that people on the left in the United States, like particularly the Democratic Party, it appears that some of them do not want Donald Trump to be president again. And again, I can't read minds, but that is what I'm picking up. In terms of the tunnels that were under 770, I never really addressed it. But my obvious answer to anybody who asked me, hey, what's up with that tunnel, is I tell them, hey, anti-Semitism is so high these days, even in the U.S., the Jews, to feel safe, we have to dig a tunnel. In fact, the commissioners of most cities are giving shovels and pickaxes to Jewish people for safety that they can build a tunnel wherever they live. Now, I had an opportunity to watch the movie Dune. Not Dune 1, Dune 2. I didn't watch Dune 1. I also highly recommend you don't see Dune 1 
or Dune 2 unless your spouse physically assaults you, drags you into a vehicle, and clubs you until you agree to go see that movie. The Dune movie itself is approximately three to five hours. There's about an hour and a half to two hours of previews. So you're looking at a seven to eight hour ordeal, which this this day and age would cost about 300 bucks uh, to the babysitter. And some theaters, they have the reclining chairs for Dune with the previews because of how long it is. You can actually rent an overnight room in the theater to watch the movie. Uh, it's, it's a very complex thing. I actually understood nothing at all. There's some characters who wear this little thing that goes in their nose that looks like nose pods, like a new device from Apple that will play music right into your nostrils. I also know that there were Fremen, which reminds me of Frem Dimension, and there was lots of talk about spices in the atmosphere. I also look at this movie and you think that they're creating languages for a movie. So you basically have to get somebody on staff of the movie who's a fake language consultant that would come up with a dialect that doesn't exist except within this movie. Also, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a very, very high rating. I've touched upon drinking in shul. I do think Jewish shuls, as opposed to non-Jewish shuls, so the Jewish shuls have a drinking problem whereby there's definitely not enough drinking or alcohol consumption in shuls. And I, and I really think this is a top priority for community members and rabbis to try to correct. Our shul is taking a step in the right direction. So now to come into the shul on Shabbos, the security guard makes you or he administers a breathalyzer. Uh, if you fail the breathalyzer, he allows you in. If you pass the breathalyzer or you can walk in a straight line, if you're very concerned about Shabbos law, not using a breathalyzer, if you can walk in a straight line, they won't let you in. He will say, please, here, let me pour you a cup of alcohol, drink it. Okay, are you feeling a little woozy? Okay, now we're going to allow you to come into the temple. Now, two more things I would like to, to share here, and that is, my dear spouse said, let's buy our children a play kitchen. So I said, yeah, we should definitely buy a play, a play kitchen, but let's not buy a new one because of the cost. Let's buy something off of OfferUp from a really sketchy family and when we get to kitchen, we can soak it in vinegar for two weeks, then remove it from the vinegar, and then our kids can use it because it's been sanitized. Now, with OfferUp, I just want to say, you know it's a very sketchy platform where every time you buy something, they give you a option to upgrade your bid by 20%, but they'll give you an armed guard to allow you to protect yourself when you go pick up the product from whichever stranger you're buying it from. So somebody will actually pull up in an armored vehicle, escort you to pick up your offer up product. It's a service, I mean, I think they offer up outsources to a different company, but 
you know, for people who have been concerned up until now, oh, I'm not going to order anything for off-rope. Oh, it's so dangerous. You can get chopped up in a million pieces. No. Now there's an armed, you know, mercenary that can go with you to help you get your product. I want to conclude this episode for, for a moment or two reflecting on the Betty Crocker device. This is a kitchen device which I discovered Pesach time, which is probably the most efficient, you know, cooking device that ever entered a kitchen. It's smooth, it's clean, it looks good. It, there's artificial intelligence in the Betty Crocker, so if you put in just a piece of cheese, bread, separate, somehow you'll open it up and it'll put it all together and it'll actually sing a song for you when you open it. You can do anything in a Betty Crocker. Obviously, you have to have separate from milk, and flesh, steak, Betty Crocker. You can make a chalant in the, in, in the Betty Crocker. You can make oatmeal in the Betty Crocker. In fact, you can just take a couple of items from your pantry, not looking, you can have a blindfold on, put it into the Betty Crocker, and the Betty Pro Crocker can and churn out like a seven-course meal for you. Now, one of the reasons why I'm so appreciative of the Betty Crocker is because if you contrast that to the first version of the Betty Crocker, which was the George Foreman. Now, if you're too old to know what a George Foreman grill is, you're lucky because there was a time in history where every family had to have two, three George Foremans because George Foreman figured out that he could make a lot of money selling this crude device that officially you can cook anything on it. It's like a sandwich maker, but you can put in a steak and billows of smoke will fill up your hotel room. And there's also this little grease, little thingamajig that collects the grease for you. So you're like, hey, did you pack the foreman? Yes. What about the grease plate? Do you pack the grease plate? So you're done with it. And the smoke detectors have gone off in the hotel. Uh, the machine is really hot. It cooks it really inefficiently. It burnt on one side, frozen on the other. And God help you if you're trying to clean out the foreman machine because, you know, things are just sticking sticking to it because that's the way George Foreman wanted it. And then you compare that with the, with the Betty Crocker and the screensaver of my phone right now is, is a Betty Crocker because that's how much love I have for the Betty Crocker. Obviously, again, if you have one for Pesach, for matzah pizza, you have to get a separate, separate one for all, all year round. Thank you, thank you very much, the Betty Crocker. Everybody have a wonderful time. Have a, have a good, good day or a week or whatever it is that you're experiencing right now. And we'll be back for more at a later date. Goodbye now.